Russell Howard is the UK comedian whose Netflix special called Lubricant, laughter being the essential lubricant that allows us to get through life, has more than a billion views on his social media channels, we're told. A billion. And his show, The Russell Howard Hour, has had 500 million. He's an admirer of the human race, so an optimistic comedian, and one of his trademarks is a wonder box. He puts things in that he admires most. Now he's back on tour in New Zealand. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Hello, sir. You have the best teeth of any comedian. That's very sweet. Um, Although um, Alan Carr, the British comedian, has got fantastic teeth. Oh, look at his teeth again. Instantly just funny... Comedy teeth. My teeth are a bit, um, unfortunately, a wee bit E4, but yeah. What's E4? It's like a show in the UK for, like, young people. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? But yeah. But you don't have funny teeth, but you do have a theory about the relationship between comedy and ugliness, don't you, in the UK? What's my theory? How how did that crop up? Remind me. Well, there's a relationship between um, an island of people who aren't the best-looking in the world and and humour. Yeah, yeah. well, I think... Uh, the Brits are very good at t- taking the piss out of ourselves. Yeah, I think. And if there's any kind of tragedy, if there's a funeral, if if something sad's happened, straight away all the WhatsApp groups, just all these kind of jokes, and that's kind of the currency because we are. I mean, as a species, we look like drop pies. We're not a particularly good-looking bunch, but we are kind of funny and and sort of piss-taking. So I think that's why it works. Whereas you go to, like, Scandinavia, beautiful people, cheekbones for days. They don't need to be... They don't need to work on a personality. Whereas in the UK, you do, to kind of stand out. And now you're in New Zealand where everyone is outstandingly good-looking. Yeah. But also, I would say friendly here as well, that there's a real warmth and sort of just walking around, like... People have been waving at me, kind of hugging me. Uh, there was a lady I kind of uh, signed a T-shirt for her. Really sweet. It's a very friendly place. I went to a place, where did I go? It's Todonga, if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah, and cool. um, a man stopped by in a, in a pickup truck and said, um, you're my wife's weird crush. <laughs> and then kind of narrowed his eyes and went, what do you reckon? <laughs> so that's taken friendliness to a real level where you kind of, you know... You're offering your wife. <laughs> That's slightly out of the friendliness dimension. Yeah, it was a real... But I felt great. Like, it says a lot about the male ego that you're like, oh, that's quite nice. <laughs> you're a Liverpool fan. I am. Everything oh, going well, yeah. so well. Jurgen yeah. Klopp leaving. Not funny. Not funny. No, just... It just feels like... I've had... It feels like being a Liverpool fan... F- f- for many years now, I've had various stepdads, and not all of them are great. And then finally, <laughs> mum went and bagged herself a German who was everything I wanted in a dad. And we, we've had just nine glorious years. Yeah. And now m- my dad's leaving my mum again. And we'll have another stepdad that won't be as good. Uh, that's how sad. it feels. Like, he was just so... He's just got... I think that's why we struggle with politics in the UK because we know and we see so many great leaders in football. So you look at Klopp, he's a he's a leader, Guardiola, Conti, Mourinho. We're, we're, we're used to uh, how leaders talk and Klopp is that person, yeah. you know, full of expertise but very normal, speaks from the heart, whereas politicians in the UK have that kind of affected speech 
and a way of doing things. They do it a little bit, don't they? Yeah, well, the, it's British politics is proof that the cream can rise to the top, but turds can float there too, you know? And it's just... Well, why I, I don't think sports people rule the UK? Well, the, the big thing is, why don't politicians have the courage to speak like they do? Mm. I, I really think that of, like... The, the, it's this weird media training that they all go through, so they then speak in a certain way, yeah. and they lose any... There's no authenticity. Mm. Certainly on the left, the the right have it, and that they, they speak how they want to speak. And if the left could learn to do that, they would... They would start clawing back, I think. That's not a bad theory because you can see the appreciation of it on the right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because you kind of like, for better or worse, like I said what I said, whereas the left kind of ties itself in knots a bit. Before yeah. we leave football, though, mm-hmm. you have played against some of the great footballers on the planet. Yeah. Zinedine Zidane. I played against Zidane, I played against Cafu. I was being marked by Cafu, Roberto Carlos. Good Lord. Teddy Sheringham, took, took Joe both Cole. of them to mark you. It took, yeah, no. But, do you know, I was, I was marking uh, uh, Robert Perez in a charity game for Ukraine. And, uh, yeah, that was tough. He was just, uh, like, just this freight train and so beautiful and just, you know, jinking left, right and centre. It was, it was incredible. But I did manage to go round Jack Wilshire. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I sort of, yeah, I did a little beardy shuffle mm. on him. Yeah, I felt great. The comedic shuffle. We should put context around that, shouldn't we? Yeah. These are games that you play for charity and all sorts. Yeah, there's a big game for UNICEF uh, called the uh, called Soccer Aid in the UK, and I've been offered it a bunch of times. Um, the first time I got offered it, it was the day of my wedding. And, I mean, that was a oh. choice. Do you know what I mean? So I had to say no, and, you know, we had no TVs on in the, in the wedding because it's televised, like this big charity game. So I managed to get it. Post-COVID, I managed to play for the first time. And I did all right. And then I came off and my brother was like, oh, imagine if you'd have played this when you were young. And that was a real window. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of all right at football. Yeah. But, um, yeah, certainly at 40, it was hard chasing... Um, Cafu was the one. You know, he played for Brazil. He's like a multiple World Cup winner. And he was... Older than me, but still, it was just... There were different species. It's like that bit in Jurassic Park, you know, when the dinosaurs whiz past Sam Neill? That's what it felt like, just seeing Clarence Seedorf, uh, the Dutch footballer. My God, just incredible. And they're all lovely as well. That's what's nice. They're all... Because you're terrified. There's like, you know, 50,000 people, and I'm used to going in front of audiences, but, you know, I'm in control. And that that feeling, you could see all the non... Footballers just terrified, and all the footy players just like, oh, "Hey, be all right, it's cool." It was really sweet. Yeah, it's nice analysis. Yeah, I don't know about Sam Neill's pig, but you have been in the um, company of Sam Neill, and what happened with his pig? So I did a TV show where I travelled around. I saw that New yeah. Zealand. Yeah, yeah. And I, missed the, I missed the Sam Neill pig. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if it made the edit because it was a bit strange. But Sam had a pig that I forget her name. I think it was like it might have been. Kylie or Kate Winslet, he names them after various people that he's worked with. <laughs> and um, we'd had a bit of his wine, and he said, oh, do you want to... We just went for a walk around his farm, and he massaged the pig and said that, you know, she likes this, do you want to have a go? And I did, and I was just rubbing this pig up, and the pig was like... Oh, oh. And I really enjoyed it, and it just made me think, if I ever needed a second career, I could probably massage truckers, because it felt good. 
It, it really did, just kind of rubbing this. I think I hadn't had a lot of human contact. I just got out of the quarantine hotel, and it was nice. Yeah, you were... And my, my hands smelt great as well after I'd really? been rubbing the pig. Yeah, because it was, it was sort of that... Like, the friction was giving me a sort of a bacony must. Ah. Which would be a great aftershave. <laughs> Bacon must. <laughs> it's one of those smells, isn't it? It's like, I try not to eat red meat, but... You get a whiff of bacon, and my God. You're the man to sell that, I can tell. Bacon. Yeah. I've thought about this as well, because it's so funny, isn't it, around December, suddenly all the celebrities, all the big A-listers are selling perfumes. Now, statistically, some of those celebs must stink, and yet we're always sold, like, you know, oh, this is what the beautiful people smell like. Johnny Depp sells perfume. He doesn't look like... He looks like he smells of, like... Cigarettes, wine, and sort of yeah, he does. bark. Yeah. He doesn't look like he smells or it tastes, but it's kind of that amazing thing every every uh, December. And they're always kind of really strange. And there's unicorns and they're leaping out of the sea. You sort of think it'd be great to have a normal aftershave ad of just like a bloke just spraying it on and go, "Yeah, it's all right." Bacon. She might like that bacon. <laughs> yeah, at the end, bacon. That'll do. <laughs> It's an amazing time to be a comedian. I mean, it's a scary world right now, mm. but also wonderful. And wonderf- wonder is what you are about far more than woe, yeah? Like we were talking earlier about Connolly, uh, the, the great Billy Connolly, and it's yeah. that thing of he... I've seen him, like, on TV create, like, unity in my family. I've seen him make my dad laugh, make my mum laugh, make my granddad laugh, me and my brother kind of hanging on and trying to figure it out as kids. And I, I, I think you forget sometimes that it can be a real fire in the corner of the room. And that doesn't mean it has to be kind of sort of bland, but it can, I don't know, it's, I think it's that thing of authenticity, comedically, whatever you, there's a brilliant documentary by Gary Shandling, and his whole thing is, his mantra is be more Gary. And it's whatever you are, you, the, the further you get into comedy, it's about being yourself. And I'm, I'm naturally, I love taking the piss and I love kind of, you know, dancing in the darkness. But I also have, I get really excited when I see videos of babies who are deaf uh, hearing for the first time. Mm. And it's, that happens to be my makeup that I'm kind of, I'm quite upbeat. But I love taking the piss, and it all sort of smushes together. So I think it's. I always try and do a show that is where people can at least leave on a sense of euphoria. Like I know that's kind of a bit lofty and, and silly, but I really like that feeling of, of at the end of a show, people coming out going, "Oh, I feel great." I, I you know, I think you achieved that. But in terms of being more yourself, I mm. think you said. I think I read you say that your first ever stand-up changed your life because you realised you could get the things that are inside yourself out and they would work in front of an audience, your thoughts. But, of course, comedians have a special key that unlocks that. Most of us have things inside ourselves, but we don't dare get them out. Or if we got them out, they'd sound, you know, icky, not funny, or stupid, not funny. I don't know, but I I think it's... I guess it's the same with any kind of art maybe it's like painting uh you know writing a book um music but with comedy it's what it does if you might have a thought and then you say it in front of strangers and the laughter is a way of telling you that you're not mad because you just collect things as you go and 
a show that is in like Lisbon is going to be different to a show that you do in, uh, you know, Stockholm or Brisbane or you know Dunedin. It you kind of have to tailor it just so you don't go mad or you don't you know like I was reading this thing earlier in the paper that your new prime minister Luxon is yes. that the guy yeah so I was reading this thing that that there was going to be a <coughs> sorry a debate um in parliament about sending troops to America and I was like oh, that's interesting and you've sent six troops now instantly that is interesting to me because that's a that's a funny phone call yeah. to kind of have with Biden and kind of go, we've got you back. Like, we're, we're sending over some troops. We've got six. Like, a thousand? Six. We've got Alan and Luke. See, that's and... it. But so it's a minivan of, I'm sure, top warriors. But, like, just reading that and, and being here and going, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, my point being, that may or may not become a thing for New Zealand. But to not do it is seems odd. Whereas to do that in... Like you say, to do that in Helsinki would be would be strange. Yeah, you know. But it's. I remember being in in Helsinki and seeing a guy catch. Uh, he was eating chips, and this kind of, I think it was like a seagull flew near him, and he caught it in midair, like oh. actually caught it with his Had hand. To do. It was incredible. But with the chips in the other, he grabbed this. It was unbelievable. Great big guy, and he just went nay, and then threw the seagull away. And I kind of spoke about this at the gig, just saying it was insane. And there was like 2,000 people just going, well, this is what you do. <laughs> and it was so funny because it wasn't funny. So the whole gig was then about me misinterpreting things from Helsinki. And I think that's the, I don't know, like, the, if you're lucky enough to do a job this uh, fun, it's kind of... It makes sense to try and push it as far as you can. I think that's when you know you're done as a comedian. If you don't get excited by a new thought and your brain is gone, that's going to bloody work. That I think when you lose that sense of creating a new car to rev in front of an audience, yeah. if you've lost that, you're kind of done, really. That's a good criterion for a lot of things, actually. Probably, probably yeah. It, like, but that if you're if you're excited by what you've got to say. I think that's particularly if you're trying to create a special. It's like, right, what is it? What do I want to do? How, what, you know, how, how am I trying to create it? The difference between you and a lot of comedians. There are lots of nice comedians, but there also aren't, uh, you know, professionally. And I think your perfect professional scenario is watching someone failing to catch a bus and then just getting on at the last point. Yeah, yeah. yeah? It's kind of. I think you can split people broadly. I think there's this. I would say there's three types of people. The people that get happy when you see someone who doesn't make the bus, which is fine. The people that get excited when they see somebody just make the bus. And I would say I'm probably in the third where I get really excited where they make the bus, but they just catch a bit of them in the door. I think that's, if, if it's perfect, they've made it, but there's just a little bit of a moment. Um, but I just, I don't know, that's... I, I, I like people and I find people... I remember being in Cambridge, um, walking. There's a there's a park in Cambridge called Jesus Green, which sounds like you know pretty potent marijuana. And I was sort of walking, and there's this lady, and she said, just apropos of nothing, she was with her dog. She was like, he's having the snip tomorrow. I hadn't asked, 
and uh, she just covered her mouth and went, he doesn't know, <laughs> and sort of just drifted away. And it's sort of, that is me, I think, where I instantly, she will be with me forever. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just, I found just this woman who just wasn't even trying to be funny, but just gave me this kind of slice of sort of beautiful British old posh lady lunacy and just went, there you go. But I think that's what... There's a brilliant book by the... Uh, he's a record producer. Oh, God, he did Jay-Z, Big Hair. I forget his name. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. And his sort of thing about creativity is a brilliant book for anyone listening. His whole thing is everything is in the universe and your skill whether you're a sculptor or a musician or a painter or a comedian or an author or whatever it is, whatever, you know, journalist, any kind of creative thing, everything is out there. And your job is to notice everything and and put it through your uh, sausage maker. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Okay. I, there's a lot to that. There really is like all the, you know, sometimes if you're sitting at a desk and you're trying to create, you're better off just going for a walk and just being in the world or picking up a paper at a radio station in New Zealand and yeah. seeing that you're sending six troops to war. You know, like, yeah. it's those kind of moments of just being alive and receptive to the comedic majesty of the world. But you, you know? also appre appreciate the wonderful naivety you have to retain, as with the woman not telling her dog about the operation yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, or well, I just think it's, I don't know, just just n n noticing, I don't know, I like noticing odd people. Like, there's a brilliant bit in uh, Catcher on the, not Catcher on the Rye, um, the Kerouac book, what's that? Um, on the Road. On the Road, yeah, the, with the Dingle Dodies phrase, where he he's uh, wandering after Dingle Dodies, you know, and I think that's what I've spent my life doing. I like sort of shuffling after interesting, peculiar people. And I think it maybe comes from my family. I've got, like, 40 cousins. And I remember being at family parties when I was a kid, and it was like being in a Pogue song. And <laughs> But there was, do you know what I mean? I've got, like, uncles who were... Like, one of my uncles, John, was teaching karate out of his garage. And he doesn't know karate. But do you know I mean? blokes were rocking up, and he was teaching, and I'd do a one-inch punch. And, you know, then I've got an auntie who's dancing to the noise that the microwave makes when it defrosts chicken. It was just, it was such oh, a like, sensory overload. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of like watching all these sort of interesting people just live in their life and then sort of luckily managed to find a an outlet for it, I guess. Yeah, because you're quite quiet, your mum says, yeah. as a child, you know. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was just kind of, it's quite difficult to be noisy. And, and also, I think. My family is so odd. I think it's the reason why I've got a lazy eye. So I think even at like age eight, I was at a party and my eyes were just right. We're going to have to split up. There's too much going on. One point four million subscribers to your YouTube channel. One point five on Instagram. Your TikTok channel had a hundred thousand people watching it with forty eight hours of launching. Does that make you rich, or do comedians have to tour basically? Oh yeah, it's sort of. I, I think. I don't. I'm not on any of those, so I don't. So people do it for me. I don't know how to do Facebook or Insta or anything like that. So I've got a guy called Reese that will say, "Hey, do you want to put this clip up?" Yeah, right. So I don't know. I don't think it makes money, but you 
Yeah, you sort of make money from touring, really. That's you should get it. Reese to promote your pig, pig bacon perfume. This is it, man. Yeah. We're missing a trick. <laughs> Reese, if you're listening. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, yeah. We had... Um, who do we have? We had Ed Sheeran, and yeah. Ed came on the show. He begged to be on, didn't he? Yeah, we. I met him on another TV show, and he said, "Oh, can I come on your? Can I come on your show?" I was like, "Absolutely, of course." And but we had to do the show earlier because his wife was cooking pasta for him. So he rocked up and he's like, "Can I do the show earlier?" I was like, "Yeah, fine." So we did it really quickly, and then he went home and had spaghetti bolognese. Didn't didn't want to get paid. We bought him a bottle of whiskey, a Japanese whiskey. Um, and that was it. So I, I think it's I, like it's sort of a word of mouth thing, and it's sort of beginning to happen with my podcast. The weirdest one I did, I did an interview with Tyson Fury. I was on about this earlier, actually, and um, I was like, "How are you?" And he went, "I'm all right." Uh, Do you know Jennifer Lopez? I said, "No." <laughs> he went, "What?" Said, what, what, what? And he was like, "Is she not on your phone or something?" I said, no, she's not, Tyson. He was like, give us your phone. You know, and you're going to hand it over. He's six foot seven. And he was like, I don't know any of these people. I was like, no, no. Well, who's the most fa- famous person you know? I, was like, I don't know, Greg Davies. I've never heard of him. I said, he's a really great comedian. He's your height. I'll fight him. No, don't fight him. But it, was this, it was the oddest interview I've ever done where I don't know what Tyson thought, but I think he was under the impression that I was like some sort of celebrity tinder that I was going yeah. to introduce him to, to J-Lo. But... Most of them are just, we, not dissimilar to this, you get to sit down and have a natter. And I always try and, whenever we do, like, big, uh, you know, celeb chats, I try and get a side of them that you wouldn't normally see. Yes, you do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, one of my favourite moments is you with Greta Thunberg and you're chatting with children mm. uh, about climate change at one point. Yeah. And a little girl says, I've got a book about you, Greta. And you say, have you got any of my DVDs? Yeah. And the wee girl says with great disdain, I don't think so. Yes, it was wonderful. She really, yeah, she let me have it. It was a beautiful pause. And i tell you what, if you want to see stardom, you rock up to a primary school with Greta Thunberg in, in the UK. It was, oh, it was proper like Taylor Swift stuff. It was like just these kids swarming around her. It was beautiful. And it was funny, and they were asking her all these questions. And then we did an interview subsequently. And it was it was one of my favourites because we were talking about this earlier, that I think she is quite an easy target. I think everything is compartmentalised. And she, to a certain type of person, represents all that is... Um, airy fairy and, and namby and weird in the world and yet fundamentally she's a young woman that kind of wants to save the planet but she's become a bit of an easy target to mock yeah and i just thought she was great and the resilience and the strength and the focus she has in this in the i mean you talk about getting abuse she's getting it like oh. by by the bucket load yeah, of course. and fundamentally she's a young woman who's doing her thing and she caught the world's imagination and what i wanted to know is what it's like because she'd be doing that whether she was mega famous or otherwise that's her she didn't do this to get followers mm. she she did it because that's what she's hyper focused on so i was just intrigued what it was like being you know, a 19-year-old girl living in a flat share, as she does. Mm. What's it like, you know, what do you eat? What, what do you watch at night? At, like, 
Do you ever go on nights out with your flatmates? Like having that conversation rather than, so what do we do about carbon? What do we do about recycling? Yeah. You know? So you sort of got to see, fundamentally, she's a hyper-focused woman who's also got a great sense of humour and she's a bit, bit strange. I think interviews like that where you just see the underbelly of someone, for me, is so much more interesting. Yeah. And, and like you said, actually seeing her as a human being can't help but melt people and go, oh, she's just a, she's just a kid, man. I know, and you, you made know? her laugh and laugh. Oh, yeah, and she's got a real grunt on her, eh? <laughs> like that. My mother-in-law goes, <laughs> so that's her laugh. And then my, my wife will start laughing like my mother-in-law. <laughs> And it's the best. It's the loveliest thing, just seeing them in sync with each other. And then they start grunting, and then if you're lucky enough, a fart might come out, and it's this sort of perfect tornado of laughter and farts. It's amazing. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? You know when someone's I do. I lost know what you in mean. that? Yes. <laughs> and it's just... I do know what you mean. Yeah, it sounds like a possum in a bin. A tornado of laughter and farts. Yeah. That complete confidence you have on stage, you see some even some very good comedians battle nerves. Because I've been backstage before some of them have gone on, and mm. I know, and I thoroughly understand. Where does that complete self-assurance come from? Because you do need the nerves, you know, to keep your brain firing, mm. and yet you are just wandering the stage is so relaxed. Yeah, I, I think it's one of the few places like I feel I get nervous at like a, a wedding if I don't know people right. or like, you know, in, in a queue at a post office. I don't really get I don't really get nervous on stage because A, I've done it so many times and it's B, it's where I know I'm... I know how to play my instrument. I think one of your great professional regrets was never having the time to spend getting your Liz Truss impression. Didn't have time. Down yeah. flat. Yeah, yeah, we had... Uh, that was a wild time. Do you know... She lost the UK economy 33 billion in 44 days. And I mean, I don't know how badly you've done at work, but that's top shelf. But, and we paid her 115 grand every year for the rest of her life. That's what she gets paid. That was her punishment. Yes, that's right. Like, again, that's an interesting thing for me to talk about because you kind of like, that is a bigger problem than whether or not we sell curved croissants in the UK. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. I, 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 I like weeding out those stories and trying to chat about them. Yes, you do. I notice media, you know, at the end of interviews with you, always fire quick questions at people like you. Maybe, oh. co- maybe because they don't know what to ask you uh-huh. and don't want to say things like, you know, have you always been funny? Yeah. Um, have you always been funny? <laughs> you fly by the seat of your pants, and that's what people most admire about comedians. Are there there are nights that you just can't get into the flow, basically, for some uh, mysterious reason? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like, uh, weirdly, I was talking to the, uh, it's a brilliant Kiwi comedian called Nick Rado. I was talking to his wife, who was a yoga teacher last time I was here, and I'd never heard the phrase flow state. And she was telling me about this, and it's apparently it's a it's a place you can get into with yoga where all the movements are just happening with such freedom. And that's what happens on stage. Sometimes it's just this... You know, I remember I got heckled in Auckland last time I was here and this bloke bellowed. He goes, would you ever put a hamster in a condom and shove it up your ass?" And that was the heckle. It was thrown at me, uh, which, you know, it's pretty full on. Um, I sort of paused and was like, it's your commitment to safety that I admire. And and then there was another pause as they laughed. And I went, probably not. I've got allergies. And 
it was the, for me, it was such a, that was the quickest way that I could go, boom, boom, dealt with, and kind of make a filthy heckle inventive. And I did it in quite quite few words. And sometimes you're like, and then other times you're like, oh, well, what, hey? And it just, you know, it just isn't quite going. So... It must be a lovely feeling your brain move at the speed of light. Yeah, but it's cool because you're it, it it's so natural because you're like it it feels the closest to how you felt when you first developed comedy as a safe defense mechanism because it's like being on a bus again and a bigger boy goes and your brain's like think quickly or he's going to beat you up and it's so it's that really it's yeah. kind of this you know, sort of quick thing where you're like, dum, 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 fine. Russell Howard's with us. Before you go. Yes. All right, here we go. This is quick fires. Yeah, quick, this. this is quick fires now. <laughs> Did you ever wish you had, had a different first name? Uh, no. Favourite Marvel character? Uh, don't know, don't watch them. The comedian who's made you laugh more than any other comedian ever? Billy Connolly. Which animal brings more joy into the world, the kiwi or the kangaroo? Uh, I would say the kangaroo. For what reason, please? Uh, I've seen more videos of them fighting. <laughs> What's the first question you see? Because your tour, <clears throat> in terms of scale, your tour almost globally rivals Taylor Swift. What's the first question you would ask Taylor Swift? Oh, that's a great question. Um, what's it like being in the middle of the thunderstorm of your life like what what do you what do you do when you're not gigging take me through a sunday off what does taylor swift do i want to know what you eat for breakfast i want to know your comfort tv i want to know um what you know who you hang out with do you leave the house do you stay inside do you, do you have you got like a private gym does someone come over do you do you slob out i want to know what she does when the world's not looking i love that i want to know that too yeah absolutely but and then she would tell me uh absolutely not tell me those things no because that's for me yeah but you know i want to know what's the weirdest thing she's seen on the internet i like watching earwax removal videos like you know I've, i remember doing a gig in sheffield there was it was an arena. There was eleven thousand people waiting. We had to start the gig late because I was watching this bloke from China get like a big wax lump of wax. It was it was the most satisfying, clearly rancid thing to watch, and yet the oh, it really sorted me out. And I wonder if Taylor has those videos that she watches where she'd be slightly ashamed because it's a weird thing to be into, but whether or not she likes watching Chinese men have wax removed from their ears. Because, in a way, you take the wax out of the ears of the world. Or <laughs> well, that is... Yeah. That's the way to end an interview. Name that's three th- why he's a pro. <laughs> Name three things in New Zealand you would put into your wonder box. Oh, great. Three things. Uh, the Manu, um, where you, you jump off and yes. you've got to do the... yeah um, Kiwi Ingenuity. Um, I, uh, on the show last time, there was a. We were in Queenstown. It was raining quite heavily, and the sound guy was putting condoms over all of his equipment um, because it, it kept all his uh, equipment safe. Um, and it turns out every every couple of months he has to go to a sex shop and buy a load of condoms in bulk. Oh, and, that's funny. Yeah, Kiwi ingenuity. So that that um, and probably uh, the drinking game possums. Which I learnt in Dunedin, which is where you oh, yes. you get in a tree, drink a load of beers, and if you fall out of the tree, you're a possum.
yeah, that's a slightly problematic one of um, people trying it at home. Yeah, absolutely. But it's it's a real window into uh, into the world. So yeah, I would say manus, possums, and kiwi ingenuity. Why are you at only number thirty two? Of the YouGov list of British comedians, you are ahead of Ruby Wax, Alan Carr, and David Williams. Okay, but there are a lot of old comedians. You know, the ones who no longer are comedic. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you should be more further up that list. Well, I'll, I'll endeavour to rise. But um, yeah, I'm ha- I'm happy where I am, man. I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm doing gigs, and the the thing about my you know career is the fact that I get to travel the world and do stand up. It's the, it's the best. So I'm kind of, yeah, I don't know, there's probably people, I've never really gone in for the celeb thing, so mm. maybe it's that, do you know what I mean? It's like, of you, course. you get offered like red carpet stuff and all that, but it's not really my vibe. You are one of the great stand-up comedians of this era. Well, that's incredibly kind of you to say, I'm looking forward to this tour. Comedy, curry and a kick around. Mm. You know, you're, that's what you like doing, your brain may be complex, but you're a simple man as well. I absolutely, am. yeah, I kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm, with my with my family, with my friends, with my wife, doing gigs, having a kick around, and thinking, I love thinking, and I like sort of sitting with my thoughts and and letting my brain kind of billow. Lovely to talk to you. Oh, I really enjoyed. Very that, nice man. to meet you. And you, man, that was amazing. That was so great, Russell Russell Howard. And um, by the way, uh, here is that clip that we referred to of himself. And Greta Turnberg with the school children. I have a book of you, Greta. Oh, oh nice. nice. Got any of my DVDs? Or... Uh, yeah. I don't think so. Oh, okay. <laughs>